welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, welcome in. This is the Thursday Deep Dive episode. We have Ian Gray on the show as always, and we're talking a fun stock today. One of the most controversial companies in the world right now, possibly the most controversial. Um, and I, I don't think I'm using that term lightly. Uh, it is Robinhood. Ian, you said you just switched over from Robinhood to Schwab. Uh, what was your experience like? I guess maybe one bit to, uh, tidbit to start things up. What was your experience like using Robinhood? And are you excited to talk about it? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I think it was, um, you know, as everybody talks about, it, it's a great user user interface and um, pretty impressive what they've done. But we'll dive into that. All right. And Ryan, do you want to introduce the company and talk about our flagship sponsor, Quarter? Yep. So Quarter is one of our new sponsors. They are the investor relations app. I guess what I call them. I don't know if they call themselves that, but basically you can get conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, earnings report, all from this one app. Um, I think it might be the first app to do this, but either way, it's really convenient. It's going to totally change up my earnings season and they're officially on Android now. So now yours as well. Yep. Just downloaded it. Going to really help out my earnings season. Keep updated on the companies I own. Very easy. And it's free. So it's great. Yep. 100% free. They also have companies from all over the place. So I think it's 12 markets that they include today and they're adding more throughout the year. Uh, you can also request companies and they prioritize requested companies. Uh, there's a lot more in store for the back half of the year, apparently. So check them out on Twitter. It's at quarter underscore app and quarter is spelled without an E. So it's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Go ahead and check them out. Uh, but I'll go ahead and dive right into Robinhood. It's kind of a household name at this point, but for, I guess, anyone that doesn't know, it's a commission-free brokerage platform. And I believe it was the first, I might be getting that wrong, but the brokerage system for a long time, I'll kind of go through the background of why this was started. Uh, you used to have to pay a fee when you bought or sold a security. And so, uh, like, let's say I wanted to buy five shares of Starbucks or 10 shares of Starbucks, it would be a $5, at least on Schwab, this is what it was. It'd be $5 to purchase that or purchase that trade order. And then it would be $5 on the back end when you sold it. This is a bit of a, I guess there was some friction in that process because people wanted to get rid of the commissions, but uh, it, it also encouraged people to, when they bought, do it in size, as opposed to being able to do it with small amounts of money. So Robinhood's goal or what they did was they came in and they cut that to zero and they made money, I guess, in a different way, which is payment for order flow. Um, and so basically the way that works is when you submit an order, a trade order, you want to buy something, they reroute that order. So they send that order to what are called market makers, which is primarily Citadel, which accounts for 34% of all Robinhood's revenue. And then uh, Citadel, and correct me if I'm wrong, it buys, buys that whatever that security is, sells it to you at a fractionally higher price. Uh, uh, it's unknown what they do, but they they don't pay Robinhood for no reason. So I'm assume, you know, you got to assume they're making money off of this. Okay. So I guess whatever they're doing in between your order, they're making some sort of money. They want those orders. Uh, and then they give Robinhood a rebate or a fee in compensation for that order flow. Um, and so 
uh, Ian, you got something? I was just going to add something there. So the money, at least as I understand it, the money's made on the spread. So in any transaction, there's a bid and an ask spread about who's, who's paying, like how much the seller's willing to sell it for and how much the buyer's willing to buy it for. And on Robinhood, unlike some of these other brokerages, that spread is larger. And so they're able to get sellers um, to sell their shares a little bit lower and then sell them to large chunks of those to buyers at a little bit higher. And so then some of their customers basically are able to take that difference and make money immediately on it because they're able to buy it at um, at a lower price then it's like trading for in the market, basically slightly lower, but on large amounts of money, it makes a difference. Buy it at a lower price and then sell it immediately for a higher price. And they're kind of, they're the market makers um, making that transaction work. And because of Robinhood's clientele, they're able to um, have a spread that's a little bit bigger than normal. Hey, what are you saying about Robinhood's clientele there, Ian? <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, it, unlike, unlike institutions that care about large blocks of money um, and, you know, a cent here or there, a basis point here or there actually makes a difference. Um, for many of Robinhood's users, the difference between you know six thirteen six thirteen a share and six twelve a share doesn't really matter because you're transacting yeah. a few shares. No, that makes sense. And I think though, I don't know if I have it here, but the average revenue per user number for 2020 was I believe was like 137. dollars uh, That's trailing 12 month Q1. Yeah. Okay, so I'm curious. Do you think they? Do you think users are saving more money being on Robinhood? Oh, they're going to be that active of traders. Yeah, because those $5 fees would add up if they're trading every day. But would they trade every day with the $5 commissions? I don't know. I think it's a bit apples to oranges. Average revenue per user, $137. Average account size, less than $4,500. So that's not yeah. a small percentage of the assets. In um, <laughs> it's a solid take rate. Um, I don't know. But they also make money not just through equities. They also allow users to buy or sell options contracts, cryptocurrencies, and options actually is more lucrative for them. So Mark Rubenstein found this, that while options only accounted for 2% of Robinhood's assets under management, account, it accounted for 47% of transaction revenue. Uh, bit of a dangerous incentive there, but we can get into that later. And then Robinhood is mobile first. So I don't even know if they have, I don't know if you can trade on oh, yeah, the they got web, web, they got web, yeah. Uh, but basically that's how they really carved into this market and got a lot of first time investors. It was kind of so easy, so intuitive. And I mean, they really do have quite the good user interface, user experience. Um, and they really are a bit like their Silicon Valley tech peers. They use a lot of the same yeah, sort we're of- gonna, We're good for Rob. It's a good user interface for Rob. We might yeah, have to find that differently later, but- They use a lot of the same sort of tricks with- to draw people into the app. So push notifications is one way they do that. Whenever something goes, uh, I think up or down 5%, you might have to opt into this, but they send you a push notification and they do uh, make the experience of buying and selling stock feel a bit like a game. uh, And they get a lot of crap for that calling it gamification, but it's like you get a free stock. It pops out of a present and there's confetti. Um, if you want, if you think a stock's going to go up, you hit the up button and they offer you a bunch of out of the money call options uh, and vice versa. So that's, I well, guess, it's the infinite, what's the, what was it called? The free money? Fuck, what was it called? It was an infinite leverage trick. Yeah, that was, was a, a bit of a blip yeah. on their part. Um, that's but, old. We've solved that. 
They also have some other revenue sources as well, though. So they have Robinhood Gold, which is their subscription service. I think it's five dollars a month. I'm not sure what what exactly you get on there. Uh, I like, think better margin rates, maybe access to better margins, stuff like that. There was I think maybe, some access to more research that they do as well. Yeah, okay. and then they have net interest income on margin lending as well as cash deposits that are in there. Um, and there's, I think, a few other ways they make money, but most of it comes from transaction revenue. I think it was around 75% in 2020. Yep. Uh, but I'll get into the history a little bit. So it was founded in 2014 in Palo Alto by Baiju Bot and Vlad Tinev. So the two were roommates at Stanford where Vlad studied mathematics and Baiju had degrees in physics and mathematics. I believe both of them knew how to code because after they graduated, they moved to Wall Street or New York and started selling trading software to hedge funds. Um, and that's where they kind of realized that there's essentially this back-end way that a lot of these brokerage services are making money by rerouting their orders. So commissions weren't really that necessary. They kind of saw that opportunity. They moved back to Silicon Valley, where Robinhood is now headquartered. And they founded they founded the company on a first $3 million seed round. They've had 11 total funding rounds since then, with the latest being more than a $3 billion convertible notes offering, I think less than a year ago now. Um, that would have been during the GameStop stuff, so yeah. Yeah, and that was basically the post-collateral for their users. For the, uh, the, the clearinghouse. What do they call them? The DF? I don't know. Whoever's above. T plus two. Or whatever. <laughs> the T plus two people. It's the clearinghouse. I forget their name. Uh, but yeah, they had to, they made them post through donating collateral, which so they borrowed it from their investors. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's part of, part of what the incentive is to go public is because uh, those lenders that gave them the convertibles uh, are hoping for an IPO so they can convert that to stock. And I assume they got a pretty good deal there. I think it was a 30% discount to, I'm blanking on whatever the fair value they had at the time. That's pretty good. Um, all the industry competition competitors are well known. If you're an investor, you likely either use Robinhood or one of the competitors. And if you don't, and you're using like Morgan Stanley, congrats, you probably shouldn't be listening to our show. Uh, but that includes, you know, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, and TD Ameritrade, who are together now. They're one company. There's E-Trade, which I believe is actually owned by Morgan Stanley. Not sure if that's gone through. Coinbase is a competitor. Ryan did hit on it earlier, but Robinhood has a big crypto market, which we'll get into um, probably in you know highlights, lowlights, future growth opportunities. Um, IBKR, which is Interactive Brokers, is another competitor. And then there's a lot of smaller mobile first trading apps, but Robinhood has really, they probably have 90, I mean, they're the clear market leader in these mobile trading apps. No one, I mean, there used to be Webull, uh, which was W-E Bull. I, I, oh. That's totally fallen off now. Robinhood's the clear leader of these. They're really competing against Schwab, Vanguard, What's Fidelity. That? I'm forgetting Fidelity too. They're the legacy solutions. And Cash App. Oh, Cash App as well. Although that's, to be <laughs> honest, I have the Cash App for the credit, the debit card. It's it's weak. They're 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 investing the stuff. Offering. I mean, Robinhood stuff. It's improving. It's pretty weak from like the what not like just from the options you have. Like you can you can only now just start doing dividend reinvestments on Robinhood. Cash App is significantly significantly weaker. I guess though, there's other ones like M1 Finance. That's kind of an interesting startup too. Is and there there's one public and common copy? stock. Can public, copy, right? Uh, yeah, there was another one where you can common use... stock. Oh, no, God. maybe it was like a sound. Oh, app. oh, there was that was that United Kingdom one. Yeah, eToro, eToro, eToro. Okay, so uh, getting more to the industry, retail investing assets are at $50 trillion, according to the S1. So quite large. Um, how much of that is reasonable for Robinhood to attain? Like a lot of it might be 401ks, a lot of it, but Fidelity. So I'm not really sure. 
Um, crypto trading is hard to calculate, but just looking at Coinbase, Coinbase is doing about $3 billion in sales right now. They have commissions. So it's unclear whether that's kind of a year margin my opportunity thing for Robinhood, but we'll see. Um, 70% of Robinhood's AUC, which is assets under custody, that's kind of how much money is deposited with them, is aged 18 to 40. So 70% of their customers are within that 18 to 40 age gap. And then 68% of people aged 18 to 29 have no money invested in the market whatsoever. So that the reason I put that in there is it shows the opportunity that Robinhood still is ahead of itself to acquire more customers. Um, all right, Ian, you want to hit management and ownership? Yep. So the CEO of this company is Roaring Kitty. I mean, uh, Vlad Teniv. Um <laughs> You guys saw that picture, right? You know, the you throw on a headband and Vlad Teniv turns into Roaring Kitty. They look suspiciously there. alike. Yeah. They also look like the John Wick character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's his name? I forget. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But no, Vlad Teniv is the co-founder and CEO. Uh, Baju Bhatt is the creative, uh, sorry, the chief creative officer, which is kind of interesting. I don't know that any other financial institution in the world has a chief creative officer. I could be wrong about that, but. They also um, don't have monetizable users. (laughs) (laughs) All right, whatever, sorry. But but anyways, I think the creative officer title is actually, um, as much as I kind of would like to give them a hard time about that, I think it's actually a good thing for Robinhood, given how much they depend on their user interface and creating a seamless environment for people to um, get introduced to investing. And I think that that is one of the things that Robinhood has done a great job of is actually creating a, for better or for worse, creating an app that is easy for people to use, easy for people to at least understand investing at a baseline level. Um, and they've just people people like the interface for the most part, especially people who aren't coming from the traditional investing world. Um, both of them, as as we mentioned, are Stanford graduates. Um, I think from what I read, Vlad had two other startups before Robinhood, um, so he's kind of was looks like he was kind of trying to test out this this startup world for a little while. And then it's estimated that both founders have a combined. Um, 20% of the company. So pretty high insider ownership that is subject to change with the IPO. Um, we'll have to check on that as kind of some more numbers come out and they probably file in an, an amended S1 and, and provide some more uh, color for that. I'd say the last thing I'll say about management and ownership, there's been a lot of controversy over the last couple of years about, or especially the last year about uh, Vlad and and some of the tactics they've used. And, and also um, the whole GameStop saga and and all that type of stuff. But one thing I will say in their favor is that the design, the rollout, and the word of mouth marketing is very impressive in the way that they're able to gain this big following. Um, I, I was reading an article that when they were first starting, um, they had an office across from Stanford and they would go test, they'd like be trying out a new feature and they'd go take the app out and go test it with students at Stanford to see whether they liked it or not. Um, it's kind of reminiscent to me of, of Tinder and Bumble that we've talked about in the past and how they would, you know, how they really targeted those college students and tried to get feedback from college students and create those even college student events and stuff. And it, it just, it seems like they've done a good job of getting a lot of good um, data from people basically going out and just seeing, do customers like this and trying to find that product market fit. Um, and it's really been a good Silicon Valley story in that sense, but um Definitely some questions with management, especially in the last year. The referral program was very smart. I believe 
a lot of people. I, got, I believe I, yeah, I can. That's how I got Ryan to download it. I was like, hey, get this. They're going to give me a free stock. It may have been Chesapeake Energy, like everyone else got. <laughs> and then you immediately sell it for three bucks. But that anticipa- yeah. anticipation, you're like, one in 200 of these people get Apple shares. And you're like, oh, right. Apple oh, share. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it turns out you just get, get a penny stock, but they can't really. I mean, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, we can't, so this is a pre IPO company. So we're going to play the valuation guessing game before the second half. Uh, so Ryan, you want to keep up earnings? Yeah. So their Q1 total net revenues was $522 million. That was up 309% year over year. They had negative a billion and a half in gap net income for the first quarter due to the change in fair value of their convertible notes. Uh, God, what an investment by those people, whoever did it. Yeah. Good on them. Uh, but I guess if you X that out and all other costs, their adjusted EBITDA margin is about 22%. Um, there is, I, I think we can all agree that theoretically at scale, this could be a very profitable business. It's pretty asset light. Yeah. Uh, I'd say their operations costs could be a, that's something I was looking at that could, you know, they're, they're having to beef up that customer support. Yeah. We'll see. Which, which is probably worth the investment. And then they have, yeah, general and administrative is the largest operating expense. Uh, it's barely outpacing marketing, which to, their, uh, uh, to them it's worked that marketing spend really has. And if their average rep, if it costs them a, and a share of Chesapeake Energy in order to get $137 uh, in revenue per user a year, uh, it's definitely worth uh, the expense. But their net cumulative funded accounts was $18 million. That was up 150% year over year. Although I guess the amount of accounts that I thought were just kind of barely funded and just yeah. idle. I like how they didn't fund it because now mine, like I don't count in that anymore. You know what I mean? They could have yeah. kind of said I was an active user just because I don't have any money in there anymore, but it's, I like how they did this. Yeah. They have monthly active users of 17.7 million. Um, and that's a little more than doubled year over year. So very few that are funded and not active users. Um, and, and then they have $80.1 billion in assets under custody, which backs out the net margin balances. So this puts the average account balance at just under $4,500. I think we asked like a year ago what we thought the average uh, account balance was for Robinhood over and under 5000 I I think we said under. Yeah, at the end we were right. So good, good. That's yeah. great. Well, I mean, hey, back then it would have been a lot worse too. <laughs> yeah, I guess the markets probably helped with that. But earnings overall, I mean, they're growing like a weed. This is a company that really embodies the phrase "move fast and break things." <laughs> yeah, almost break the markets, uh, break the financial world. But <laughs> Q1 should be mentioned. Q1 ended in March, and April, May, June. There's some pretty boring. Yeah, but within certain parts of it, crypto was super uh, hot, I guess is the best way to describe it. Very volatile there. And they've been making more and more money off Dogecoin, which we get into. And then I think Q1, Q2 could even be a better number for them. I don't know how much crypto can be. I don't know. Meme stocks have been going crazy too in Q2. I don't know. The presence of Wall Street bets has been so influential in Robinhood's success. As long as there's these micro bubbles and the (laughs) virality feature of like, Oh, this is the stock we all have to get in on. Volatility is their friend. Yeah. Because honestly, it's not, it's really not all that different than the old way of, uh, of brokering. Like the incentive is for people to transact. It's just yeah. a backdoor path to do it. Yeah. Yeah. 
then it's no different. Yeah. We say the incentives are kind of mixed, but they've always been mixed. If it's, if it's someone that doesn't make money on net interest income. All right. Balance sheet quick. You want to hit that in? Yep. I'll hit this quickly. First, real quick. Um, just to your point about Q1, we've already actually started to see some decline in monthly active users um, in February and March of Q1. Um, still up like from where they were year over year, but down from they reached a peak in uh, January of 2021, kind of in the okay. midst of that Robin Hood bubble. Um, and that was for both, well, for, let's see, yeah, for both daily and monthly active users. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when, if, if they do go public and Q2 results come out to see how much that continued to drop. I have to assume that it continued to drop coming out of it, but we can get more into that later. Um, as far as the balance sheet, they've got about $1.4 billion in cash on the balance sheet. And then they have some other kind of restricted cash um, on the balance sheet. And so part of that's due to cash that they're holding for their, uh, for the accounts on Robinhood. But then there's also some cash uh, related to some of like their liabilities that they have to hold on the balance sheet. So they've got a few, a few different buckets of cash on the balance sheet. Um, but about one point, it looks like about 1.4 billion that they can kind of do whatever they want with. Um, as we were talking about earlier, they had that convertible note offering, which is over $4 billion. In my mind, that should just be thought of as dilutive, uh, dilutive equity at this point. That's going to convert to shares um, and, and it's going to be dilution, basically. So um, that's kind of the, the story on the balance sheet. You should check and do some more research. And there's been some people who have put out some good reports following the whole GameStop uh, story about the plumbing and how all these investments work together and where money goes and what the chain of custody custody is and all those types of things. Um, I know that there's some good threads on Twitter and probably also some good articles and Substack things. And so I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but that's something to consider when looking at this because their balance sheet is dependent on how all that money flows and how long it takes for the money to flow from one entity to another. Um, like I said, others are more qualified to speak on that. So, so if you're interested, go do some research there. And the other thing is like, if, if they get to the point where they have whatever 50 million monthly active users and they have to post collateral for some of these, what they call 10 Sigma events, like that balance sheet really starts to matter um, or else they might have to raise uh, like they, like we saw in January. Yeah. I mean, before, <laughs> and when they used to have the um, in 2020, when they had their app just shut down and that was brutal. I can't, Imagine when it was like a headquarters. It was shut down. Remember when, um, it, you know, when it stopped working? Oh, I don't remember that. Right? You guys remember that? Vague. Remember when the app was shut down, you know what I mean? You couldn't trade in 2020. And this was during March, I believe, and in different times when uh, they just couldn't get orders through. Oh, I know. Yeah. But either way, let's wrap up the first half with the valuation guessing game. So what do we think is it is going to come out at, uh, uh, Ian? I'm going to say 25 billion. They raised money at about 11, 12 billion in 2020. Um, 25 billion would be about 25 times revenue. I think SoFi is trading at like 30 times revenue right now. Oh, dude, then that's a discount. Yeah, it is, that's a discount. But I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see, but I'm going to guess somewhere 20, 25 billion. All right. I think it gets a meme stock valuation. I, I know they're giving shares to Robinhood users. And that, that sounds great, but I, you know that they're like, we give them to them. They're going to do their dirty work. You know what I mean? It, I could see a world in which they halt trading of Robinhood on Robinhood. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, that would be a sight to see. It'd be fun to watch. Um, I would, so 
I could see it being north of forty billion. So isn't it estimated? Hey, what about what about close? First, I mean, first day close are open, like not like not some random weird spike. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Like close, like what a you know? Yeah, I could genuinely see this getting like 30 times sales, which uh, is probably what, like 40 billion, I guess. On yeah. When I was doing an article on them, S&P Global said at least 30 billion from what they're hearing, probably more. And it's so, unbelievable. I'd say, I think it's going to be 40 billion. Yeah. I mean, there's been rumors of 50, but I think that was probably the one that the, the company dropped themselves. <laughs> there's always that one where you're like, everyone's like, oh, that's insane. You know, like you guys, guys, like sources are saying, Robinhood's going to go public at 50 billion and like, mm, well, that's probably just Robinhood themselves. Um, all right, let's hit the ad break and then we're going to discuss what we like, don't like about Robinhood's business. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. All right, welcome back. Next up is anecdotal evidence. This one should be fun here. Uh, we've all had anecdotal evidence with Robinhood. Ian, what are your thoughts? Yep, so my experience with Robinhood started about a year after I started investing, I think. Um, I came across it and I already had a little account at Schwab, but I thought, hey, if I can get money transferred immediately and uh, commission free, because at the time the Schwab commissions were actually, I think like 12 or 13 bucks a share. So when I'm buying little tranches of, you know, $200 things, right. That's like, you know, if you count it on both sides, it's, it's uh, 10% of my, of my initial equity. So I was like, man, if I can get on Robinhood and not have to pay those commissions, I'd love to do that and be able to buy one stock at a time and diversify faster and all that type of stuff. Um, then, you know, obviously Schwab dropped a commission free and I went, well, why am I on Robinhood anymore? Because I actually, you know, I didn't, I think the user interface is good, but it wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted some more tools and some more data. And, um, and then also I wanted some, like I wanted to open a Roth. And so yeah. I opened all of those types of things with Schwab and then eventually still have my little Robinhood account over there. And uh, it that's the gambling account, you know, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> scratch the itch with the, the gambling account. Yeah. And eventually I was like, you know what, I just want all this at Schwab. And so I think Robinhood charges an $85 fee to transfer your assets out. Um, really? so I called Schwab and I said, Hey, if I transfer these out, um, like, will you cover the fee? And they said, yeah, we'll cover the fee. And so, <laughs> so I transferred it over Schwab covered the fee. Um, and, uh, so now I'm all hundred percent in Schwab. Yeah, Schwab customer support is one of the best in the financial industry. I love them. Uh, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, everyone's got their own experience with Robinhood. I think people our age, at least, or their own, uh, I guess, take on it. I started there. Most people do. I mean, the commission-free is such... When at the time, it, it, was it was such an edge yeah. because the young people just don't have much money to play with. And so, but I moved to Schwab pretty early on, I guess. Uh, I think there's still a little bit of money in my account 
and it's pretty much just like fun gambling money, I guess. Like if I ever wanted to buy some crazy out of the money options on some random <laughs> just hunch, yeah. uh, that's the place to do it. But I, I honestly think it's a very, very small, it might be gone now. A contract might've expired worthless. <laughs> yeah. Them, uh, I think you have this in your notes, forcing the hand of the big guys is nice uh, from an investor's perspective. Love how they're doing that now. Um, but me personally, I really hate it. I hate that. I'm not going to mince words here. It makes me upset seeing it, uh, how my friends use it. Uh, like once we talked to Bill Brewster and he kind of opened our eyes even further to the tactics they're using, got pretty angry at the company. Um, that's the slot machine tactics, yeah. the notification tactics. Um, and then the, just the, the green and red stuff is so, uh, I mean, when you're, everything is good, your whole page is green and it's like a magical cartoon. And then when it's red, it looks like, I don't know. It's just a little midnight, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's mind blowing that they, it feels like Robin hood themselves don't notice, or at least that's the narrative that they put out what's going on. Yeah. It's kind of like, with, I mean, it's kind of like with YouTube and uh, Facebook. They're like, I don't know. We didn't know that Nazi stuff was there. Like, I don't know guys like in that, we'll fix it in that know. FINRA $70 million fine or 75, whatever it was, there was 10,000 customer complaints that they like, didn't disclose with whoever that regulating body was. Yeah. Oh, their track record of acting, um, ethically. Yeah. Or maybe like conservatively, you know what I mean? Not risk averse. They seem to take a lot of risk. Uh, you know, I wouldn't expect that as a, you know, to be risk averse as a shareholder going forward. Um, all right. Future growth opportunities and what are your thoughts here? Yeah, this is going to tie in a little bit with some of your concerns. So I think one of the future growth opportunities is um, adding retirement accounts the, oh, sure. or other types of accounts, because really young people, that's what young people should be doing. Um, yeah. And that's part of the reason, like, so when I first started, I had an account with Schwab, like I said, and then I opened an account with Robinhood and then I needed to open a retirement. I wanted to open a Roth IRA and I probably would have opened it on Robinhood if the option had been there. And my assets might still be with Robinhood. Maybe not because of some option stuff I wanted to do, but um, they might still be with Robinhood had I been able to open that Roth IRA, but I wasn't able to. And so I moved everything over to Schwab. Um, they, this is kind of the point that touches on your concerns. They, they call themselves, or they've started doing these marketing campaigns where they say, um, everybody is investors, right? We are all investors. And that's a, I, that's a great theme because I actually, I do believe that, that we're all investors, but the problem is, is they're reinforcing behavior that's turning everybody into gamblers, yeah. right? And I think doing things, you know, if they could actually help all these young people open up Roth IRAs, then I'd be a hundred percent on board. Like then, then yeah, we are all investors in your help. Yeah. And, that, and here's, that's what, here's, here's my thing, uh, kind of a pie in the sky question, but as a society, do you want Robin Hood to be a Roth custodian? <laughs> where because the idea know. behind Roth IRAs is that the the average American can build a retirement tax free. If that retirement account blows up at thirty and you're allowed to trade out of the money oh, options that's without any collateral, are you? Do you really want them? Yeah, that's that interesting. Power? That's interesting. That comes back to Robinhood's maybe just tactics, maybe so. just don't allow don't allow options transactions within a Roth. <laughs> 
are just well, and they already there there already are restrictions on on some of the types of trans the you can still do some options with within a Roth, but like some of the more advanced strategies aren't are not allowed. Anymore. Not allowed. Okay. Um, I would. What makes me concerned about management's integrity is that they launched crypto back in 2017 when the company was probably had 10, 2% of the employees they do now. And that seems really hard to do. Uh, or maybe it was 2018. I can't remember. Uh, they didn't have, at the time, they didn't have dividend reinvestment, Roth IRA, or regular IRA. That seems a lot easier to build. Maybe I'm wrong, but that seems a lot easier to build because it's just getting the regulations through than a crypto thing. And, you know, is that really, I don't know, what's helping your customers succeed in their retirement? There's an yes. element of tone deaf for sure. Like even when, when those customers' accounts were getting broken into and people were extracting money and they'd reach out to customer support, you know, they want to get back to them for two weeks or whatever. That's exactly when they launched a new, uh, new color green for their mobile app. <laughs> yeah, the new color green. That's huge, guys. And people are like, are you serious? Look, like, we're like, your customers need help, but. Yeah. Ian, yeah. I was just going to say the last thing is, is it's hard on Robinhood because I am thankful for them pushing the industry to commission free. And I think that is a good thing for investors. Yeah. But the problem is, is they've then tried to capitalize that and say they're democratizing finance and we're all investors and we're all, you know, we're doing so much to help in the investing community and getting young people invested, but it's not investing, right? A lot of what they're doing and the, the behavior that they're really incentivized to promote is not long-term investing that's going to make meaningful, a meaningful impact on, on the lives of most of their customers, right? Yeah, it's, the, it's, day traders don't make, most day traders don't make money. Some do, if you're a day trader, whatever, some people do. Uh, it's harder though. Right. And uh, majority of options traders lose money. So yeah. they're incentivized to get people to use tactics that on average, they're going to lose money. Yeah. And Sounds bad. I mean, maybe this is sort of mm, too far into the future to think about this, but like once these, once that generation that adopted Robinhood early hits the age where they're high income earners. So like 20 to 30 kind of. And they have, tons and tons of short-term capital gains tax they have to pay on stuff that they've been Ooh. trading. And I it's think, not like zero, it's like 25, 30. Yeah. yeah, 25, 30%. I think they might recognize like, oh, maybe this isn't the place I should have my money. But <laughs> Roth IRA, you can trade your hearts away. No, yeah, I guess that's true, <laughs> which is once again, kind of double-edged sword. But I'll, I'll hit mine. Um, my first thought was just adopt the stigma as a uh, being a gambling parlor just and just crazy. move to sports gambling. Like you've got the user interface, you've got the user experience. They're the best of the tactics. They are so good at that. Like there is maybe a pivot could be in play here, but a pivot to a casino would, I'd be enticed actually as an investment. <laughs> it's, I'm serious. It, I guess if they don't want to do that, which I don't think they would, uh, copy the cash app, try to do some sort of cash wallet stuff, uh, maybe boost, like just try to build out the debit card, just more experience more optionality for users. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you should be copying kind of the cash apps moves. I yeah. think Robinhood has debit cards. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like adding all, adding more stuff to that debit card. And that yeah. leads into my future growth opportunity, which is turning into a bank. This might be the boring one. People roll your eyes. You know, every fintech company says that, but there was a lot of language in the S1 that makes it feel like they want to do this eventually because they're saying stuff about we're going to manage everyone's financial future or something like that. You know, it's a bit, you know, they got those missions and visions and stuff like that, but 
seems like that's what they're going to try to do. Uh, they have that cash management thing where they're talking about, I forget the interest rate they were going to give people. It was like upwards of 3%. And then they, that told, they botched that rollout back in 2018 or 2019. Um, and now they have that at a lower interest rate. Either way, that's kind of smart. Pretty good initiative. Get people at higher interest rate um, than they will get out of regular checking accounts. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a crowded space. It's above the risk-free rate. I'm not sure how that... Yeah, it seemed, it seemed impossible for them to do, which is why they definitely lowered that. <laughs> it was a bit of a gimmick at the start. But this is... I think they're going to try to move more into this. However, it's an extremely crowded industry. There's so many of these neo banks. Definitely. All right. Um, highlights, lowlights, Ian, what do you have? So the highlights for me is just the initial brand building, as I mentioned earlier, that it just, it really is an impressive story about how much adoption they were able to get and, and in a spot where their vision was actually correct, which is often the case with many of these companies that get successful. It's kind of survivorship bias, but many of them did have visions that actually came to fruition with commission free and, you know, quote unquote, democratizing finance as much as I, I, don't agree they're really doing that. They did, they were able to drive this whole industry to commission-free. Um, the low lights for me though, is how much of their revenue, as you highlighted, uh, Ryan, comes from options, which is like we were talking about earlier, the spread on trades, they've, they've expanded a little bit, but then the spread on options, because it's a, a less, um, there's less volume going on in options. It's a more inefficient market. And so the spread on options are much higher. And if you do options trades, you recognize this, that like oftentimes yeah. the mass spread will be, will be, you know, tens of dollars different of uh, difference um, per options contract. So um, there's just a lot more money to be made there because the spread is so much bigger. Um, and they do, one of the interesting things is they do it. Many of the institutions actually do it on a, a uh, like just a per transaction fee for the order flow, Robinhood takes a percentage of the spread. And so they're actually, the bigger the spread, the more money they make. It's not just per transaction. And so- Man, um, that's interesting. Which which I think is why, like that's why the options, I think is such a high percentage of revenue because they're, they're getting more revenue on every single transaction because the spread's just larger and larger. Um, I'm a little bit worried about that from a business standpoint because I just worry that there might be some more regulation that comes into that space with how many, you know, just how many bad experiences people have had with options on Robinhood. And they seem to take a fairly um, lenient approach. It's much easier to get options, you know, at least initial options approval on Robinhood than it is on some of these other um, uh, brokers. So uh, that's one thing. The active users declining the last couple of months is another thing. And I, I, well, I'll get into that in a second, but um yeah, that's those are kind of my main my main low lights. Okay, Ryan. The highlights same as Ian. The the brand building's been exceptional. I think the product market fit to go from to go to build this fast in six years is it requires they had to be in the right place at the right time, and they were. Um, and I mean, there's a reason they won versus yeah. everyone else. Um, and there's also a huge network effect with. Uh, with especially yeah. with anything stocks related, not maybe necessarily not like switching costs, maybe the the it goes viral within like communities. Okay, virality, yeah, definitely, yeah. Like 
oh, he's on route. Like, uh, like think about the GameStop. Think about how many users they got from that. How many and, texts you got from random people that have never been invested <laughs> in. They're like, I'll set up an account with Robinhood. And what's interesting is they use that specific color tone that no other app uses. So when someone else is on it, you're like, hmm, I've never seen that type of app before. What is that? That I think that was one of their smartest moves too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is kind of the go-to app for first-time investors. Um, and this could be a high margin business um, if things go well, for sure. Low lights for me, I just, I don't like the CEO. Like I personally have a gripe with him, I guess. Um, I yeah. mean, he probably doesn't care, but. Yeah, that's what's kept us out of uh, Facebook though. And that's, that, that's cost us money. I, don't know. I guess another low light is that the entire platform hinges on market sentiment. Yeah. Like yeah. Tr- think about those active users could reverse those the activity could reverse like imagine if we got a boring market for a year why don't just get the levered up done why don't just get the levered up nasdaq and that and etf that's what I, that's what my i mean i don't think that's equivalent and really don't buy the levered up nasdaq etf i also similar i also think the they went uh they went public at the most opportune time with those first quarter numbers yeah, a little, little window dressing now. Which, I mean, that's better than going on behalf of your the people that gave you convertible notes. That's better than going public at an inopportune time. But True. for the retail shareholders receiving that, uh, I just be cautious. Yeah. And then another thing with the window dressing, okay, Dogecoin revenue was 6% of revenue in um, Q1. And Peak Dogecoin was April, so Q2. No, I think it's, it's and well it's ahead of us. It's ahead of us. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. But uh, I think they could have twenty percent of the revenue with Dogecoin in Q2. Yeah, I guess it's possible because there was that huge bump, wasn't there? Yeah, and apparently Dogecoin has great margins for them. So it's yeah. believable. Yeah. Um, what about you? Do you have any highlights? Let's see. Other highlights? Uh, I mean, nothing. I guess infrastructure and operations look to be in a way better spot now. They said they're up. They can take 5x of the um, demand of what they're currently getting. So that's better than what they were doing in 2020 when they had the app shut down. But everything else you guys said, I agree with. Low I mean, lights are good, right? Installed base and switching costs matter. Like, it, yeah. It's they are able, they could possibly pivot the business model in a few ways that make them better in the eyes of investors because, and they can do it successfully because they have this massive install base. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a big if. Um, let's see. Other low lights, reliance on crypto, that Dogecoin stat. I mean, I don't know, write that to zero. Their crypto revenue, while not, okay, I don't know what percentage of it of the transaction revenue it is, but in Q1, it was up 2000%. So, I don't know. That feels unpredictable to me. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Exploiting customers just doesn't feel sustainable. So when Robinhood does well, it's when their customers are doing poorly. Yeah, no. I believe oh, that. You don't know that. Well, on an average, it has to be true. Also, I don't know. Is maybe this a low light? Like the larger percentage of AUM that options becomes, the higher chance that AUM disappears? Yes. Yeah, it's like, like a what happens thing. when these accounts actually go to zero. Yeah, I know. If you're if, using 
your transaction revenue lost you assets. If the majority of options traders lose money, that means if you're getting people to do this, eventually they won't have any money to trade options. I just don't, which is a function of options trading. Like yeah. most have to lose money. You can't, like they're not going to solve this. Um, all right, we don't need to rant. Bull case, Ian, what, what's the bull case for Robinhood? Let's say, let's put a valuation on it because it's tough for pre-IPO. Let's say they go out at a $30 billion valuation like SMB Global saying. Yeah, I think that the bull case is they become the financial institution for younger generations. Um, and as I've kind of <laughs> mentioned today, I probably I don't think that's likely. And I think there's a lot of competition out there between all these ones I've talked about, whether it's SoFi, Square, PayPal, even even some incumbents like um, some of the, some of the existing banks and and uh, Visa and Mastercard. Like, there's a lot of options out there for who's going to really become a major financial institution for younger generations. And and I just I don't see it, but, but there's, that's the bull case. I think that, that they just become more and more intertwined in um, you know, millennials and generation Z's financial lives. Diversified revenue. Yeah. Diversified revenue. Exactly. Yeah. Ryan. Yeah. Same as Ian. It's maybe I am overthinking the downside risks and I'm overthinking the negatives and maybe the perception among the public for Robinhood is a lot more positive than what I'm thinking. Um, and or not even positive people might not care. Yeah. And then like if a lot of those first time investors continue to stick around for their lifetime, um, this could be a good investment at 30 billion, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Possibly. Possibly. I, I'm cautious <laughs> to say that, but um yeah, I mean my bold case could be that everyone else that hasn't turned into these degenerate gambler types. Well, maybe they do. They they get more and more people to start doing that. Yeah, maybe maybe this drives attraction from would be non investors. What do you mean? Uh, like people that would have never invested are adopting it. Maybe not for the right reasons, but they adopt it because you know their friend was on Robinhood that made money yeah. trading options. Yeah, but it's I, revenue for them. Yeah, I think if you okay the mark if the market cap goes out like thirty billion something like that thirty times sales, you. Unless they can really diversify the business model into something more of a cash app where they have like a debit card thing that gets a pretty nice take rate and that becomes a meaningful portion of the revenue, you got to expect AUC to get to like a trillion dollars, right? Yeah. And that's not, un, that's not crazy, but it's not possible. If they do, I do think it is for sustainability that I think they have to diversify where their revenue comes from, which is possible. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, that in Q1 uh, transaction revenue was a smaller percentage of overall revenue than in 2020. Yeah. They had more gold, uh, gold subscriptions, I think. That's and then they had the them. interest of margin was up a lot. Margins of like tenants, no, margin accounts. That's good. No, that's good. Not nah, margins cheap. It's cheap. No one can get in trouble with that. Free money. <laughs> All right. Bear case. I mean, this one's easy, Ian. Yeah, I'll jump in here real quick just to add a couple of numbers to what we were talking about. Cryptocurrencies um, in Q1 2021 were 17% of total revenue was transaction-based revenue from cryptocurrency, 17%. Um, Total transaction-based revenues were 81% of all revenue in 2020 or in Q1 of 2021. Um, And then as far as like the... Uh, the net interest revenues, which includes some of what you were just talking about, it was down from 19% in Q1 2020 to 12% in Q1 2021. And so 
becoming a little bit of a smaller piece. Um, and, uh, they had like the big thing was they earned less interest on their cash and securities while maintaining about the same level of, of interest earned on margin interest and securities lending. Um, so anyways, just a few numbers there for people who are interested as far as a bear case, (laughs) the cynic in me says, and I think it, I think there's some truth to this is that order flow is about to decrease monthly active users is about to decrease as we're coming out of COVID and stimulus money. We saw that trend start in kind of February. Yes, the stimmies got, got to help them. Right. And so, especially with an account size of, you know, what, what is it? $4,000 average account size. So, um, the stim- stimulus monies actually can be a big, you know, you know, you get a couple, you add up all your stimulus checks and that's basically your average account size at Robinhood. So, um, anyways, I, I just, I worry that they're IPOing at the perfect time for this business and that these growth rates, right. They grew 300% or whatever in Q1, that doesn't seem sustainable to me. And I, I fear that this is a business that may have already hit its peak in terms of revenue. I, it, it's probably unlikely that that's the case, but it definitely, I think is going to, we're going to see decelerating revenue growth going forward. And um, that, that I think that could really hurt the stock, that there's could be high expectations and, and um, low results over the next few, few quarters and years. Say that there's been some headlines thrown around E-Trade, TD, Ameritrade back in the nineties, it was like 1998. And maybe that means this bull market has a few more years to run, but this, it was like revenue up a hundred percent. And those are some pretty poor investments from then on. So like, just because trailing revenue is up, you have to be able to, you have to ask yourself how predictable is that revenue going forward? Um, Ryan, what's your bear case? The bear case. We, so we just talked about constellation software and we, and on that we said, all right, there's an incredibly high margin of safety there. There's a high floor. It's going to be hard to lose money. Uh, because there's so much predictability with the cash that the company generates. The floor on this investment is extremely low. It The bear case is... 90% lost your money. Well, we're assuming the $30 billion. Assuming yeah. a $30 billion valuation, you can lose, uh, in my opinion, a ton of money because the revenue streams are so unpredictable uh, and it's so susceptible to market sentiment that if things were to go wrong, that it, there's just not a lot of safety on on this investment yeah bear case for me or go ahead if i guess if the convertible notes convert and just to shares um at least they don't have bar at least they don't have to pay back uh lenders that's yeah that's a plus that's a plus it's just vc um, dollars gone just be yeah or well you, you know well, retail by that point uh yeah what word what, what uh the lockup period you know <laughs> that's got to be it. I'm not saying all you know VCs do this or anything, but you know that lockup period, that first six months, uh, you kind of hold on to your chest here, hoping the price doesn't tank or something like that. But I'll hit my my bear case. I mean, simply it's a bear market. It's because if investing ever becomes unfun again, like I I don't know if it ever will. Maybe we're in a new paradigm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe this is just the new. This is how financial markets are going to operate for the next 50 years. I, and the Micro thing is Robinhood can, it's not like Robinhood is reacting. Robinhood made it happen. So they can keep making it happen. Um, but if it does, if a bear market comes and everyone like when bear markets come, it by definition means there's less investors out there. So, you know, 
that investors and Robinhood are going to lose money. They're going to leave. They're going to be less trades. Um, it might not leave. It might just be an idle account. Yeah, our idle account. Uh, the SEC has talked about regulating order flow. So that could come through. Yeah, that's I don't know thing. if I want that. I'd rather have order flow than commissions, but that's just as someone. Well, I don't know. I guess that depends how much money you're playing with. Just put in limit orders, guys. If we all put in limit orders, we can crush Citadel's business model. <laughs> no, probably bad. not. They get a they get a workaround. They're a lot smarter. But, but uh, that's the other bear case, I guess we didn't talk about is the ongoing legal proceedings. There's yeah, there's a lot. There's a few that are active, and uh, I, if the SEC or whoever the regulator is maybe gets better funding and they decide to take action. Yeah, this feels like Monsanto. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? 70 million was a slap on the wrist. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like that legal risk is is there. Um, but who knows? Who knows on that? More or less interested, Ian? I'm less interested. Um, this is a company that like, the story has a lot of potential, right? Like if, if it was actually democratizing finance and actually helping all of us to be better investors, um, it would be something I'd be super excited about. But I, I just feel like they're telling one story, you know, over here, you know, on one side of their one side of their mouth and, and actually acting a different way. Um, and it's just, it's, it's frustrating. I think there's, as you were just talking about, I think there's some regulate regulatory risk with this one. Um, and it's just not, not something I'm interested in. Yeah. Ryan. Uh, less interested it it's a sin stock that sin stock investors won't touch like well i mean well, yeah. sin stock doesn't equal good investment but it i don't know i just i just don't like the hypocrisy of it all that yeah. i have a very cynical take i guess the business model and maybe that's not what the standard person perceives it doesn't matter they're getting it doesn't i mean it doesn't matter what they think it's what, what's, what's happening there there's just so much lack of predictability and risk it's probably something i will stay away from yeah the big key yeah i'll say less interested as well the big risk is unpredictable i mean why buy this and not buy up a levered up btf that you know whatever in the i forget the, those are called the triple lever s p futures or the triple lever nasdaq like you're just going off market sentiment here how are you able to predict that it just doesn't i don't know i don't know yeah agreed but okay i added a new question what price would you actually consider buying Robinhood at yeah ian do you have anything i gotta think on this so <laughs> I'll talk for a second. So I actually wouldn't consider buying this at any price. Um, there's a lot of stocks for me that I just say not interested at all. And I, I don't let myself get tempted, even if it's at a low price. Facebook's one of those stocks for me, actually. Um, there's a lot of things about Facebook's business that I look at and go, okay, I kind of like that. But for some other reasons, I just don't want to buy Facebook. And part, part of that is I don't believe in what the company's doing. So, um, it, it, you know, I, I just that's the same thing with Robinhood. I think I'm so frustrated and disappointed. And then also their brand image, right? It's a weird business that has both like many of the financial, many of the people in finance really don't like Robinhood, right? Of, you know, these people on wall street and they think, Oh, it's a casino and all this type of stuff. But now you've got all these other people, you've got the whole wall street bets community mad at you too, because of the whole GameStop situation. And so their brand image, despite all the great work they did for years and years, their brand image has really taken a hit. And I think they're, I don't think they're, 
they're walking the walk of the story that they're telling. So it's just, it's one that I, I wouldn't consider buying at any price, honestly. All right, Ryan. I am less morally sound than Ian. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, not, it's not the morals here. That's keeping me away. <laughs> I think I, if I could make money on the investment to, I would use that money to shut it down. I guess maybe that's where I get my moral bounce back, but no, I just start, I would start up a thing just to get people we'll signing up on Schwab fidelity and we'll get the Roth IRA started. I'll do one a week. Sub sub 4 billion, I would consider. Yeah. I think I'll, I, 3 billion came in my head. Because the, you, you can still lose money at sub 4 billion or sub 3 billion, but your upside is really high yeah. in, uh, if, in a market like we've had last year. Yeah. I think, and yeah. especially at that point, at that valuation, if they're able to diversify their revenue streams at all, um, this probably becomes a winning investment. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'd say, yeah, 3 billion was the number that came into my head. But they're not generating, I don't know. they're not generating any cash though. I know. So you can't really, I mean, the probability is there. I actually but don't I think they can be that cash. high margin. Yeah. I don't think they can be that, that high margin. Like it's not going to be operating expenses will always carry. They're going to have to. God, dude, 30 billion is fuck. Sorry for <laughs> swearing. Sorry for swearing. That's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Hope I don't, honestly, if, if there were ever a company that I would say no forever, this might be it. Yeah. Uh, All right. Stock yeah, for next not. week. Ian, what are your thoughts? What are you got? Thinking we're going Paycom next week, ticker P-A-Y-C. It's actually, it was one of the, the first stocks I bought um, multiple years ago, and it's been a good winner for me, but I haven't done a whole lot of research on it recently. It's been one of those that I just kind of let do its thing. So excited to take another deep, deep look into it and, and, uh, and, sh and share it with all you guys. Yeah, that should be a fun one. It's been a really strong performer in the SaaS business. I'm not sure if they're exactly SaaS. I think yep, they are. They're human capital management. So kind of similar to a, uh, an ADP or a paychecks. So, all right. Should be fun. Um, okay, that's going to do it. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening or watching. We'll see you next week.